Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the last show ever of this year of the KWUR Theater of the Air, here coming to you live from the basement of the Women's Building. This is David Reinstrom reporting live from KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. I'm David Brunel Rutten. And I'm Alex Jensen. Hello, and welcome to our very, very last show ever, 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 ever. Well, my last show. Possibly your last show. We may do another one during during reading week or during finals week if the mood strikes us, but canonically, <laughs> consider this the last show. So we will be giving Alex a proper send-off. She will tell oh. one last amazing story. Do I get cookies? Oh, I didn't bring any, but you can have. I can make you some cookies. Wait, you're making me work for my send-off? Yeah, yeah that's kind of how it works. Oh. What do you think they did for David Sarnoff? Same thing. Oh. I just remembered I left my soda in the other room. Well, we can get it once we put this on the Avengers. Sorry, I, I was distracted. Um, yeah, so, no, Alex, you're leaving us. It's terribly sad. Two wonderful years. I'm going to yeah. cry. I know. Me well, too. actually, three wonderful years. Uh, two and a half. If you want to get technical. Yeah. We've, yeah. <laughs> we have been with you since you were a sophomore and we were freshmen. Since I was a baby. And Wait, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're going out into the wild and scary world. A.K.A. Living with my parents until I figure my crap out. Well, I mean, then. <laughs> if you don't come back here and uh, do a guest show with us, we'll I will kidnap cry. You. Oh, I will. I will literally. I will literally cry. David like, will cry with tears, and I will kidnap you. Well, I'm then. proactive. <laughs> David I, is reactive. I will also cry if you are kidnapped. <laughs> I will cry for both situations. Well, he's a multitasker. We're totally off track here, David. Uh, we are going to continue where we left off last week with the, uh, the Avengers episode. The Avengers, yes, yes. Um, this was this was the British adventure show, and this was originally broad. Uh, this was this the copy that I have was syndicated and rebroadcast. I'm going to say in the 70s on. Um, I looked it up on it was South the African. 70s. Okay, on South African it was radio. 72 Springbok Radio. I consulted my brain. And it, it tells me the 70s, so cool. you're right. It's it's uh, sponsored by Coldwater Omo, which is a dishwashing, or uh, sorry, a clothes detergent. And we will hear some some uh, apartheid-era <laughs> commercials for that God. detergent. Um, but, okay, to recap, or for those of you that, were, that missed last week or have, you know, your memory has grown hazy, uh, there were these two clowns, and they're going around killing people. <laughs> It's pretty evil. There's this. Um, there's a Punch and Judy show at this home for for old retired vaudeville acts, uh, and it's it's just uh, like the puppets, right? And it's just Punch, and he's telling people he has this list of marks uh, of various prominent Britons for these these clown assassins to take out, and he works he works this whole room of people up into this murderous frenzy because he'll be like kill kill kill, and then they'll just go kill kill uh, and slaughter people, uh, and so so I'm going to. Shh, Alexo. What? Children like, are listening. No, they're not. Yes, they are. Who? I, I met somebody who, who who said, you know, I was listening to this with my little daughter, and, and she might be listening now. Um, and she Hello, said, little daughter. And, and you made a reference to urination that she felt was untoward. But you can say porn on the radio. Fine. I seed. Um, Here, let's be correct. Pornography. Let's not use. Say it with me. Let's not use base slang when speaking. You're right. That's what Dick Tracy teaches us. Exactly. Don't be a communist. Don't use slang. So they're murderous clowns. They're killing clowns. people. Uh, and so who's on the case? The Avengers. The Avengers. Uh, 
Emma Peel and John Steed, and they attack the problem with their characteristic a plum, because they're a pair. Get it? <laughs> okay, so, uh, part two of Stop Me If You Heard This. I asked the company earlier if there was anyone you could think of who might prove to be a danger to our plan. Well, we told you, no one. No one. Miss Letty from Lancashire says otherwise. Not so, Miss Letty? What about your old gag writer, Maxie? The one who gave you all those blue jokes that closed us down in Scunthorpe. What, you... you mean... That's right, Bradley Marler. He was a lousy writer, in my opinion. Should have stayed off the stout more. But he was devoted to you. He'll know where you are and could give us all away. Bradley Marler. Yeah. I haven't used him for years. Well, you'd better use him now. Once and for all time. Agreed? Bradley Marler, much as he loathed the medium, was working on a new TV series. It was clear from the amount of paper reaching up to his ankles that he wasn't getting along very smoothly. There was no knock at the door. It was merely thrown open. And entrance as usual. I say, I say, I say, would you care to hear what the girl said to the sailor? Absolutely impossible. Ha <laughs> ha, perfectly right, I think, oh. Matsy. Maxie, Martin, and John Jenkins. Great, just great. Hi, boys, take a chair. Ha <laughs> hi. Long time no see. Funny you chaps your picture. You know, there's been a fellow in here looking for you. Is that so? You hear that, Jolly? Uh, just in time. We, we found you just, just in time. time. Where have you been hiding yourselves? Underneath the arches. We dream my dreams away. Got it. Grease paint grains. That's where you've been, of course. And you plan a comeback, so that's why you come to me. You need fresh material. You, you want to get in and make a killing, that's right. A killing. That's right. A killing. That's right. Hey, uh, do you remember that knife throwing at I worked out for you? It was sensational. Sensational. Uh, you remember, Johnny? You used to stand in front of that ball. Yes, yes, that's right. Uh, show me how, Brad. Show me how. Uh, you you have your hands outstretched uh, like, like this. And you, Maxie, you used to pretend that you were drunk. <laughs> Great! Yeah, that's right, that's right. I used to stagger about the stage like this. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. And I had a bit of patter, and I, I used to sing a little number. <laughs> I'm hungover bad this morning. That's why they call me Max the Knife. And then I used to throw the knife, drunkenly, but of course, very accurately, like this. Oh! The large, vicious-looking knife swished through the air. It was accurate. The handle protruded from the center of Brad DeMarlo's chest. Oh, we're very, very sad that you had to leave us. But when you gotta go, you gotta go. Well, now, Mrs. Peel, you know what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Say, close to Lord Dedington, act as bodyguard. That's right. I think there's no doubt that they'll try again. Right. I'll stay very close. I won't let them out of my sight, not even for a second. Three people have been killed, and, well, I suppose one can't blame people like young Seagrave, wondering why we haven't foreseen what would happen. They could try and get at Lord Dedington at any time. Don't worry, Steve. They won't get at him. Not with me around. That's what I like to hear. Confidence. Oh, here we are. I only hope that Lord Dessington agrees to your being so, um, intimate. <laughs> we'll see just how intimate he thinks it's going to be.
I'm very worried, Mr. Seagrave. Very worried. I think we all are, Miss Giles. You know, Mr. Seagrave, that Lord Destington is a very busy man. But in point of fact, he doesn't use his office as often as other people. Oh, rubbish. Of course he does. Who else uses it more than he does? One person in particular. Who? Me. Good gracious. Well, you can hardly be serious. Who would want to kill you? That's what Lord Destington said. He considers me completely unimportant. But I'd like to point out that if these murders are calculated to destroy Project Cupid and undermine the whole of this company, there are two people who know more about the business dealings than any other. One is me, because as confidential secretary, nothing can be kept from me. And the other is you, Mr. Seagrave, as company secretary. I think you should be worried, too. Don't you? John C. dropped Emma Peel off at Lord Dessington's and drove home in a thoughtful mood. When he entered his apartment, the phone was ringing. Steed? Steed. Uh, hmm? Mr. Steed. Marla. Bradley Marla. Yes, what is it? I don't, I don't know what you can make of this, but, but it, it really killed me. When, when Mary Maxie called... Maxie Martin called on you. Did you get his address? Yes, uh, written it down uh, on a paper. Uh, the, the knife. Knife? Uh, what knife? Well, what are you talking about? Marla. Marla, answer me. It's, it's on the... Uh, Marla! What is it, Marla? What, what are you playing at, Marla? No good, Steed. Bradley Marla has cracked his last gag. <laughs> So many women say, once an OMO user, always an OMO user. Because there's just no dirt that can stand up to the cleaning power of cold water OMO. It solves Mrs. Sutherland's washing problems for her. Very dirty oil or grease marks. Yes. If you use cold water OMO, there's no trouble at all. It comes out very, very easily indeed. There's no washing problem too difficult for cold water OMO. Over one million South African housewives have proved it. Wall's Ice Cream presents the new Pink Pussycat song. We've got so bad vanilla, salt and hot. That's our new sight. Why can't you stop it the way you like? All over the outside, we're Wall's Pink Pussycat with three murders, one attempted murder and one undiscovered murder they knew nothing about, John Steed and Emma Peel were not doing very well on this case. They knew that the whole board of the Capital Land and Development Company was threatened with destruction. They knew that a vaudeville artist known on the boards as Mary Maxie Martin and his partner Jolly Jenkins were possibly responsible for the crimes. But how and why was still a mystery. Steed and Mrs. Peel felt that their job was to protect the remaining members who could be in danger. Lord Dessington was an obvious target, one attempt having already been made on his life. Shh! Wait! Oh! Miss Charles, isn't it? Oh, dear. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Quite thrown off my balance. Oh, I'm so sorry, Lord Dessington. I didn't mean to disturb you. Eh? Uh, no, no, no. Come in, Miss Charles. Come in. Miss Charles is in. I came to remind you, sir, that you are due at Farrington Hall today. You asked me to jog your memory. Oh, yes, yes, so I did. Uh, so I did. Uh, do you fancy a trip into the country? Oh, yes. Yes, I think that sounds very attractive. You are going with Mrs. Peel? Well, why not? 
I'm sorry, sir. I apologize. After all, it has nothing to do with me. You're right there. I have apologized. What is it, Miss Charles? Don't you approve of my charming bodyguard? Mrs. Peel has agreed to look after me. You think it's a good idea? It isn't for me to say, sir, is it? No, it isn't. But now you've shown your disapproval, you might just as well continue your opinion. Well, as you have asked, I hardly think that it is right for the company's image. Um, do you think that another murder might help the company's image, Miss Charles? I hardly think that the would-be killer will strike again so soon, particularly at Farrington Hall. However, Lord Dessington, I'm sure that the lady knows what she is doing. Yes, yes, I'm sure that she does. Shall we go there, Mrs. Hill? Before the sparks fly. While Mrs. Peel concentrated on her task of looking after Lord Dessington, John Steed was following up on the mysterious phone call he'd had from Bradley Marler, the variety gag writer. He'd called at Marler's office before to ask for information regarding Maxie Martin. Marler had promised to help trace him if it was at all possible. But the phone call had been desperate and garbled. Steed had got round there straight away to find... Stab. That's what he meant about the knife. Stabbed or... Or is this a throwing knife? Hmm. Yes, yes it is. A knife thrown into his chest. Knife throwing act? Again, we have this theatricality. I must have dragged himself to the phone, dialed my number, blurted out the message, and then... Then this... Hmm. He did say he'd written down the address where Maxim Martin is staying, but where in all this? Steed looked around at the hopeless confusion of Marla's office. The whole place was knee-deep in papers, all scribbled on. <sighs> My wife is so changeable. A month ago I adored her, today I can't stand the sight of her. A candle maker is one who works only on weekends. Oh, no. No wonder Maxie Martin gave it up if this is all he had to go on. Oh, well, somewhere amongst this lot is the clue I'm after. It's only a question of time. And Mr. Punch addressed his audience once again with... It's only a question of time. They're all going. Bradley Marler had taken his last curtain call. Oh, well, we did our best, Mr. Punch. And you know what our best is like? We knock them out. We paralyze them. We slay them. Oh, Lord. Why, we thought we would have cried. We slayed them in the old Kent Road. Very good, very good, very good. But now, now to business. You must both leave at once. It is essential that you both rectify your previous mistake. You know what I mean. Lord Dessington? Lord Dessington? Lord Dessington. He must be killed. He must be killed. He must be killed. He must be killed. Lord Dessington drove Mrs. Peel down into the country. He was in a particularly thoughtful mood. A penny for them, Mrs. Peel. Hmm? Oh, just going over things. Stephen and I haven't done too well on this case, Lord Dessington. Well, it's hardly your fault. 
The whole affair is quite bewildering. I mean, what the devil have we got to do with music halls and all that sort of rubbish? Well, it's clear enough that your company has taken over lots of the old variety theaters and is in the process of pulling them down. Even so, that's just a business transaction. Vaudeville is dead. There's no place for it. We can't blame us. But somebody does. Yes, but, but why? I'm not sure. There's more to it than that. The variety act is just a cover-up. There's someone who's behind it all. It must be someone who knows about Project Cupid. Eh? You think so? Mm, I'm sure of it. Well, I don't see it myself. Well, neither do I. That's the reason I'm trying to think it all out. How long has Miss Charles worked for you, Lord Desmond? Oh, uh, about two years. Hmm. Yes, I see. And all the information on Project Cupid is fired away in the offices of the Capital Land and Development Company? Of course. Ah, I'll tell you quite frankly, Mrs. Field, that I'm darn glad to get out of the place for a bit. I don't know why, but I feel safer in the country. Well, I wouldn't be too sure about that, Lord Desiree. Uh, um, are we here already? Yes, yes, this is Farrington Hall. Or at least where it will be. But it isn't even built. <laughs> no, not yet. But it's all planned. Like your opinion on it. As you see, it's all marked out with white tape. Every room. Uh, do you understand Builder's plan? Well, I haven't exactly majored in the subject, but I think I can catch on. The house will face this way. Yes, that's right. Uh, the windows will be here, facing the hill. Remarkable view. Mrs. Steele, you are standing in the fireplace. Oh, so sorry. I think the place has possibilities, Lord Essington. But I'm... Mrs. Peel stopped and looked keenly at a cluster of bushes. What is it, Mrs. Peel? I saw something move down there in what will be your gardens. The bushes, they move. Burnham Wood comes to Dunton, in there. Mm, well, something <laughs> like that. Although it's unlucky to quote from Macbeth, you know. We've had plenty of attention from the variety stages. Heaven help us if the classics catch up with us. That was hardly likely. For down in the bushes, the two comedians were ready to start their act yet once again. Ready, Jolly, old boy? Ready, Maxie. We've got to be good this time. Yeah, sure. Now, just keep up the pace and don't gag through the laughs. Yeah. Do you think we're going to get in it? Sure. You laughs last and all that. Are you all set? One, two, a one, two, three. You've got to do S-M-I-L-P-S-O-B-H-A-T-O-P-Y. Back in the marked-out foundations of Farrington Hall, Mrs. Peel and Lord Dessington were amazed to hear the sounds of a comedy song emanating from the bottom of the grounds. Lord Dessington was inclined to be amused. Mrs. Peel wasn't. She drew a revolver from her handbag, gave an order to Lord Dessington... Stay here. ...and made off at the direction of the sound. Here she comes. Now you take her on, Jolly. I'll do the dirty deed. Sure. Come here, Miss Proud Beauty. <laughs> Jolly legged it into the bushes. Mrs. Peel followed. But Mary Maxim Martin remained hidden. Then, when all the confusion appeared to have passed, he calmly walked up the slight slope and said to Lord Dessington, Oh, I'm very, very sad that you have to leave us, but when you got to go, you got to go. Oh, the Keep your hands off. Too bad. A bit of a tight squeeze, as the actress said to the bishop. Maxie had his hands round Lord Dessington's throat. A short while later, Lord Dessington died. Mrs. Peel tore after Jolly Jenkins, but she didn't catch him. In a strange way, he seemed to know the undergrowth better than she did. He just vanished. I missed him. How the devil did that happen? 
Not a disappearing act as well. Mrs. Peel returned to the marked-out patch of ground where Lord Dessington had planned to build Farrington Hall. He lay sprawled in the grass amongst the chalk marks. Oh, no. It was at that moment that Mrs. Peel heard the car taking off. She could have sworn that someone in the car was singing. But when you've got to go, you've got to go. Mrs. Peel made after the car. In Lord Dessington's Rolls Royce, she was able to make good time, catching up easily on the worn-out old jalopy driven by Maxie Martin. But he hadn't far to go. He turned into the entrance to Grease Paint Grange just ahead of her. It was at that precise moment that John Steed stopped wading through countless pages of script written by Bradley Marler. Ah, gossip. Gresham Grange, commonly known as Grease Paint Grange. Of course, the old-timers rest home. That's where we'll find them. You'll find tragedy unless you move more quickly, Steed. Get going. Mrs. Peel had been driven down to the site of Farrington Hall by Lord Dessington. John Steed had appointed Mrs. Peel as Lord Dessington's personal bodyguard, and Mrs. Peel hadn't done too good a job. Lord Dessington was dead, strangled by Maxie Martin, who, with his partner Jolly Jenkins, had made a smooth getaway. But Mrs. Peel had followed them and ended up at Grease Paint Grange. Outside the building, she swung the car to a stop. To her surprise, she found herself confronted by a policeman. Good afternoon, madam. What seems to be the trouble? Oh, well, I can't explain, officer. But I've traced two men here. I suspect they're criminals. Thank goodness you're here. Will you please stand by? I may need you to make an arrest. Well, of course, ma'am. I'm on duty. Got me truncheon ready. And where I hit, no grass ever grows. Like this. Oh. Mrs. Peel, taken completely by surprise, collapsed under the blow. Maxie Martin caught her expertly and whistled to Jolly Jenkins. Give us a hand, Jolly. A bird in the bush is worth two in the cinema. Right. Oh, I always fall, don't I? <laughs> Funny I can always fall a woman. Bless him. What would Natalie's be without him, eh? Ah, too true. Let's get her inside. Mr. Punch will want to know the latest happenings. Now, you take her feet. I'll uh, hold her under the arms. Here we go, now then. Uh, oh, oh, we're very, very, very pleased that you come to join us. And when, when you've got to come, you've got to come. Mr. Punch, on his small stage in the main hall, was interested. No one saw you? Are you sure? Ah, sure we are. She was alone, wasn't she, Jolly? That's right. She followed us. What could we do? We didn't bring her here. She must know about Lord Dessington, though. Then there is only one thing to be done. This woman must be eliminated. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the volition, that's, that's all pretty well, but I can't kill a young bird like her. I agree with everything you say, but no, no, I can't do that. You've killed often, Mary Maxie. Why the distinction? Uh, I don't know. I, I just can't. Can you, Jolly? I don't know. I've never tried. <laughs> Why don't you hand her over to Frederick? He's always looking for extras in his act. That's okay with me, Mr. Punch. Let me have her. I mean, you sawing a woman in arms act. I need a new assistant. Well, the other four didn't last long. Now, look, that's not fair. Listen to me. That'll be horrible, death. 
Look, Mr. Punch, look, if, if we got a killer, then let's do it quickly. Then who will volunteer to do it quickly? You say you won't, Maxie? No, I've already told you, no. Hmm, then it is agreed. Give her to Fiery Frederick. <laughs> Agreed, then. So what? What happens now? What's the next move, Mr. Punch? We have nearly completed the mission. There will be a final meeting here this evening at six o'clock. Understood? But there's only one more left on the board. And six o'clock. Ladies and gentlemen, that's enough. Steve prepared to invade the old-timer's home. He drove up to the main entrance and introduced himself as... I'm Gentleman Jack, a smile, song, and a, an umbrella. And the umbrellas, and the umbrellas... Uh, I'm afraid we're full up. Oh. Can I help you otherwise? Uh, well, this is Grease Paint Grange, uh, the home for retired West End fun makers. Oh, yes. A stopping over right. place for resting um, artists. Uh... Yes, well, I'm resting. Right. Oh, not here, you're not. No vacancies. You can't stay here. Not even if you're good. Oh, but surely, surely you can't have any objections to showing me around. I mean, I may be able to put a little money into the place. Angel Jack, that's what I've been called in my time. I'm married an angel. Some people have all the luck, of course. Uh, thank you. Uh, lead on, then, would you? Letter the lass from Lancashire um, had no reply to Steed in this ebullient mood. He walked straight past her into the main room. Oh, 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 very well. I suppose a quick look around won't do any harm. Now, this is the main hall. We're all very comfortable here, as you can see. This is, of course, the lounge. A small punch and judy stand. Oh, entertainment's laid on. Can't wait for a vacancy. And uh, tell me, what's behind the main curtain? Oh, oh, well, that, that's, that's just an empty room. Uh, the guest rooms are this way. The apartments down there are private. Uh, they're this way. Letty ushered Steed through the rooms at breakneck speed. As far as he could tell, it all appeared to be normal and above board. But as he was leaving... Uh, well, sir, thank you. Thank you so very much. Very, very kind of you. Uh, goodbye. Steed noticed Lord Dessington's car parked outside. On the front seat was a handbag, Mrs. Peel's. Steed made his way back into the Grange, this time by the back windows. Steed found himself behind the stage curtains of the main lounge. The act... Fiery Frederick and his death-defying assistant was in active preparation. Mrs. Peel, gagged and bound, was on a platform, her body encased in a wooden box. Fiery Fred was sharpening a saw. Steed knew he couldn't let this go on much longer. He approached the illusionist and said, I want to see a smash hit. What? This. <laughs> all right, all right, Mrs. Peel. Soon have you out and... <clears throat> <clears throat> No gags, eh? Oh, thanks, Steve. About time you got in on the act. This place is... What the devil's been going on? I wouldn't know. I followed two men down here and got knocked out over the head by a fake policeman. I came to with that character about to give a performance. What now, Steve? Mingle with the other guests and try to look like an old, out-of-work actor. Well, the way I feel at the moment, that should be easy. Hey, listen. Come on, we don't want to miss the final curtain. Well, lead the way. Let's get this show off the road. Thank heavens, Fiery Frederick's act has been cancelled. Lead on. <laughs> Attention. I have reviewed the situation 
and decided that we will call a halt to operations for a while. What's he calling about? Quiet, quiet, quiet. But I don't understand, Mr. Punch. We've nearly completed our task. There's only one member of the board of the Capital Land and Development Company left. Yeah, that's right. With them all wiped out, we can take over the theatres again. We'll all be back in business. Yes, you can't stop us now. Right, everybody? No! 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 What's he talking about now? Now, the whole thing was my idea. And it is I who will have the final say. Now, we want action. We've been out of action long enough. Action you will get. But the wrong move will jeopardize everything we have achieved so far. Why? Why? I don't get that. Charlie is right. Why will he? Believe me, I know what is best. Like you, I want to see us all working again. All the theatres in lights. The audience is applauding. The curtains going up. The rebirth of vaudeville. Hey! He's right. He's right. The rebirth of vaudeville. And that means live acts. Not puppets and punch and duty show, but the flesh and blood again. Who are you to question my decision? Uh, Gentleman Jack. A song, a smile, and an umbrella. And the umbrellas, and the umbrellas. Yes, he's right. We don't want to be told what to do by a tatty end of the fear punch and duty show. Of course not. We've taken orders from puppets for too long. Oh, I bet he isn't even fully paid up in equity. Uh, down with Punch and Judy, sir. Yeah. 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 John Steed and Emma Peel were always good at stirring up trouble, and this time they excelled themselves. Within minutes, it was a free-for-all. Steve got in a quick jab at Maxie, who thought it was delivered by Jolly. They came to blows quite easily. Oh, you dirty, rotten little... You always ruin our act. Oh, dare you. Hogging the limelight all the time. Always wanting to stop Billy. He'll turn over the punch and duty. <laughs> From under the wrecked stage called the figure of Mr. Punch. Seagrave. Of course. It has to be him, the only one left. Get out of my way. This gun is loaded. And, and so I there's Thompson, the old one too, Mrs. Peel. Right. Who? Oh. Executed. Seagrove assumed that being the only one left on the board of directors of the Capital Land and Development Company, he'd be able to ruin the whole plan. But he nearly succeeded, too, did not he? He had his own contractors. He could have planted explosives underground and sabotaged the whole thing before it hit How very pathetic. Using out-of-work actors to bring it all about. Sad, really. Oh, well, I suppose none of them will ever make the big time now. No, might get some work on South African television. Like to see a show this evening, Mrs. Beale? Live show? Oh, I don't think so. Thanks, Steve. I think I'd sooner take in a movie. That's a horror movie. Bound to be one on somewhere. So much less frightening than the real thing, I agree. I prefer really witty comedy. Which reminds me, did I ever tell you the story about... Oh, well, stop me if you've heard this one, won't you? And with a vicious uppercut, Jimmy Anderson finishes trimming his whole head in just three hours, eleven minutes. Great work, Jimmy. You play any other sport? Yes, tell me nice. You're looking pretty cool, Jimmy. What deodorant do you use? Shield for sportsmen, of course. Why? It works. Shield for sportsmen deodorant won't stick, sting, or stain. In aerosol or roll-on, it's made to keep sportsmen cool and dry. 
Think what it can do for you. So many women tell us that once an OMO user, always an OMO user. Women like Mrs. Clark of East London. This is certainly one that I've stuck to. And it's all I get now. Yes, Goldwater OMO cleans best. Over a million housewives have proved it. The Avengers. Every evening, Monday to Friday, to John Seed and Emma Field, The Avengers. Brought to you by the makers of Coldwater Omo. That's one of the greatest TV <laughs> themes in just in the history of, of television. I love that theme. We will, we will be exploring more old television later. Uh, but first, a special message from Alexa. When you commit a gun crime, it's not just you who pays the price. It's your entire family. Gun crimes hit home. A public service announcement brought to you by the Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. Thanks, Alexa. De nada. Okay, and now we're going to take a short musical and break. Goodbye. I was going to say what show you were listening to. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Because I mean, in case you didn't know, you're listening to the K-Wear Theater of the Air. He's got a point. Which is on KWUR 90.3 FM. Clayton. It's true. We're also online at www.kwerradiotheater.wordpress.com. And check us out on iTunes, because you can do that. And now, a short musical break. Hush up, David. Yes, sir. My mama told me everyone needs to know how to pick breakfast off a tree. Pick breakfast off a tree. Pick breakfast off a tree. So come, little one, and play in orchards with me. My mama told me, only take the ones a tree will give to you easy. We'll give to you easy. We'll give you with ease. So come, little one, and gather oranges with me. But when I see them take the way they do, news break the way they do, and ache the way they do. Doesn't make me hate you, but I sincerely wonder what your mama said to you, what your papa said to you. My mama told me. My papa told me. Watch the creatures of the sea, the creatures of the sea, the creatures of the sea. So come, little one, and play and tie foods with me. My papa told me, if you want to save a bird, then just let it go free. Let it go free. Let it go free. 
go free. So come, little one, and open cages with me. But when I see them lock the way they do, tick-tock the way they do, sleepwalk the way they do, doesn't make me hate you, but I sincerely wonder what your mama said to you, what your papa said to you. And tonight, the KWUR Theater of the Air works for you. Well, actually, it works for me. Uh, here's the deal. I'm doing... Hey, it works for me. But, uh, hey! <sighs> I'm finishing up a paper for my History of Electronic Media class. And, Alexa, you probably are, too. Ha! Huh. Let's do it uh, tomorrow. Keyword finishing up, then, no. Hmm. No, I'm not. Hmm. <laughs> uh, my thesis, I'm, I'm doing a paper uh, on, on Rocky and Bullwinkle and postmodernism. And... <laughs> And my idea, among uh, 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 you, just, you just slip that in there. Slide that in there. <laughs> you just slip that no, in I there. I mean, it's subtly. about it's about self-reflexivity and about satire and, and another one of and and part of the complexity of of the show. For those of you that didn't grow up listening, or uh, I mean, wa- well, giving myself away, watching um, Rocky and Bullwinkle in syndication. I did. Yeah, Dave, did you? I'm raising my hand right Not now. Not that much. I've seen it okay. several times. So I uh, hear. I, I extracted the audio from the very first episode, November nineteenth, nineteen fifty nine, um, on under the idea that I, I mean I've done a lot of research. I've watched a lot of the show over the past couple of weeks doing research for this paper, um, and I feel from what I've read of what Jay Ward and Bill Scott, the producer and the writer, said that the show could basically stand on its own as a radio show because the the writing was great and the animation was. Let's face it, pretty crappy. No visual visual jokes then. Was well, it? There are visual jokes, um, but most of the action is narrated. And so I wanted to try as an experiment. And I'm going to need your your um, your evaluation on this because there are going to be some jokes that don't make sense. Okay, let me get out my clipboard here. I get jokes. Okay. Okay. Here's so, my David's thesis evaluation clipboard. Okay. So here uh, for you now is the very first episode of Rocky and Bullwinkle. You'll notice that uh, the voice of the narrator doesn't sound like you'd expect it to. In these first two or three episodes, he's actually he actually sounds different than we than we remember. It's not like "Meanwhile, back in Frostbite Falls, Minnesota." It's more like he's he's telling you a secret. It's like "Meanwhile, back in Frostbite Falls, Minnesota, our heroes do such and such." It's interesting. You get to see these. Uh, I've watched the first season. You get to watch these characters evolve. Um, but that's enough for me. Now, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Pineapple. A thunder of jets in an open sky, a streak of gray, and a cheerful. Ah! A loop, a whirl, and a vertical climb, and once again, you'll know it's time for the adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle and friends. Starring that supersonic speedster, Rocket J. Squirrel, with his pal Bullwinkle the Moose. And a host of others. Hurry, Bo! 
Bullwinkle, the show's about to start. I'm coming as fast as I can. Wave to the people. Yay! Now what are you doing? Sign an autograph. The thief, John Smith. But your name is Bullwinkle. I know, but that's hard to spell. Our story opens today at the Slick Observatory, where an international group of scientists, eggheads and double-domes, were meeting to dedicate the new giant 1,000-inch telescope. The chairman, Sir Newton Fugg, was presiding. Today we will prove once and for all that there can be no life on the moon. Dr. Milton Nudnik, egghead of the year, was given the honor of the first peak. What do you see? I see two moon creatures. Impossible! The scientists rushed to the eyepiece, and incredibly, Nudnik was right. Why, it's a moon moose. And he's signaling us. What does he say? He says... Here we come, ready or not. Sure enough, a strange rocket ship had left the moon and was heading straight for the Earth. The word spread in a flash. Extra, extra, moon men to invade Earth. President declares emergency. Now hear this. This is Dorson Bell speaking. The moon rocket ship is nearing the Earth. This invasion is not a play, I repeat. Not a play. Please feel free to panic. And some people did panic. Stores closed, houses were shut up tight. Everywhere, panic reigned. What's the headlines, George? Invasion from moon. Hmm. So what else is new? Meanwhile, at Washington Airport, the newly appointed ambassador to the moon, Krevney Blatt, and other dignitaries and diplomats were waiting for the strange craft to land. Here it comes! The rocket ship had made a perfect one-point landing, and while all eyes watched expectantly, the hatch opened. Welcome, moon people. You dig them Earth talk? Bullwinkle, they think we're moon people. They do? Then take me to your president. No, no, no. We gotta tell him the truth. Gentlemen, I'm Rocky the Flying Squirrel. And I'm Bullwinkle the Moose. And we're both from Frostbite Falls, Minnesota. Minnesota? You mean you've been to the moon and back? Why, they've discovered a great new rocket fuel. And so to a hero's acclaim, our adventurers told their strange and incredible story. It seemed that just days before, in their little house in Frostbite Falls, Bullwinkle had been baking a quick-rising cake, according to his grandmother's old recipe. But the first layer... Had risen a little faster than they'd expected. And the next thing they knew, the stove had been blown clear to the moon. Well, they had to get it back. Sure, we still owe two payments on it. And so the boys put together their version of a spaceship and used the second layer of that extraordinary cake to propel them to the moon. And the third layer blasted us back. That cake better must be a revolutionary rocket fuel. My boy, you must make more of that cake for your government. Bullwinkle, you're going to be a famous scientist. Well, after all, I am a graduate of MIT. The Moose Institute of Toe Dancing. Unfortunately, our boys wouldn't have been so happy had they overheard two notorious spies. You hear, Natasha? First get the formula and then kill the moose or vice versa. And so a short while later, the new director of guided moosels was interrupted by... Hello, you great, big, wonderful moose. Boy, that's right neighborly of you. You will give me grandmama's recipe? What for? 
Well, I hope to be a grandmama myself someday. I'd love to, but in the explosion, I only saved half my recipe. I know how much, but not what of. Natasha's friend then did a very unneighborly thing. <coughs> Darling, will you please hold this package for me? Well, I'd plan to leave in a couple of minutes. Don't worry, you will. Sounds like a clock. Bullwinkle's steel trap mind had done it again. It was a clock, only attached to 14 sticks of dynamite, and it was wired to go off in 30 seconds. Don't miss tomorrow's exciting episode, Bullwinkle's Ride, or Goodbye, Darling. And now it's time for... Time for the dancing fool, Bullwinkle! Again? And now for one of our special fairy tales. Yeah. It all started out with a plant, a variety of European bellflower used in the making of salads. The plant is called rampion. This plant grew in a beautiful garden belonging to a mean witch whom everybody feared. Unfortunately, the rampion could be seen from a little hut belonging to a peasant and his wife. Every day, the wife, who was to have a baby, she'd sit by the window and gaze at the rampion. Darling, I know this sounds fantastic and utterly absurd, but I have this uncontrollable desire to have a salad made from that European bellflower. You know, rampion. You mean those weeds there? Rampion, dear. And I fear I must have some or I shall surely die. All right, dear. If it's rampion you want, rampion you shall have. And so the husband sneaked to the garden wall, peered over the top, and leaped into the garden of the witch. Rampion, shmampion. It still looks like weeds to me. Whoops! Halt! You cannot move! You know, you're right. You have come into my garden like a thief. Alas, be merciful. I'm only here because my wife sees your rampion. I think I'll turn you into a toad. And uh, has such a longing for it that she would die if she could get no rampion. If that's true, you can take away as much rampion as you like. But on one condition, you must give me the child which your wife is about to bring into the world. In his fear, the husband consented to everything, and when the baby was born, the witch appeared, gave it the name Rapunzel, which is short for Rampion, and took the little infant away with her. <laughs> Rapunzel grew into a beautiful child. She played in the woods and was very careful of her long hair, which she would comb day after day. When she was 12 years old, the witch shut her up in a tower. It had neither staircase or door, only a small window. Matter of fact, there was only one way to climb up the tower. Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. That I may climb the golden stair. And that was the way. Well, a couple of years later, the king's son was walking in the forest, and he chanced to hear a song so lovely that he stopped to listen. The lovely voice came from Rapunzel's tower. <clears throat> Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let down your hair. Ooh, that I may climb the golden star. Wow! 
Rapunzel, I have searched far and wide, but never has my heart been so touched by song or beauty such as yours. I like you, too. Will you be my wife and live with me in my kingdom? Yes, I will gladly go with you because actually there doesn't seem to be any future here. I mean, Rapunzel, let down your hair, let up your hair. It gives me a headache, I'll tell you. Then it's settled. We'll be married right away. Just let down your hair and we'll be off. Aren't you forgetting something? No. What? Me. If I let down my hair, how am I to get down? Oh, that's right. Well, I think you'd better go now. The witch will soon return. Oh, don't worry, Rapunzel. I'll, I'll think of something. Whoops. Oh, you've come to fetch your lady love. Where you goofed. You'll never see her again. <laughs> and so the poor prince wandered, unable to see a thing, eating roots and berries. Meanwhile, back at the tower... Oh, you wicked child. I thought I'd separated you from the world, yet you deceived me just for that. Well, now you've done it. We're both stuck here now. Aren't you forgetting? And so poor Rapunzel was left to live in the tower all alone and in great poverty. The poor prince wandered about in the forest for two years. Then, one day... <coughs> it's... it's hair. Yes, hair it was, for in the two years, Rapunzel's tresses had grown to their full length again. Rapunzel, I told you I'd think of something, and I have. Only I can't see. Why don't you take off your hat? I can see. And now I'll climb down your hair, and when I get to the bottom, I'll explain my plan. What's your plan? Jump! Jump! That's your plan? Yes! Some plan! After three days in the barbershop, Rapunzel and the prince were married and lived happily ever afterward. That is, until one day... Darling, I know this sounds fantastic and utterly absurd, but I have this uncontrollable desire to have a salad made from that variety of European bellflower. A rampion? Yes, dear, a rampion. Well, here we go again! <laughs> Today's lesson is mighty important, remember? Bullwinkle is a... Not that lesson. This lesson. And now for a more serious note on our program, we bring you the Poetry Corner. Hello there, poetry lovers. Today's poem is the well-known favorite, The Swing by Robert Louis Stevenson. <clears throat> How do you like to go up in a swing, up in the air so blue? Oh, I do think it the pleasantest thing every child can do. Up in the air and over the wall, till I can see so wide. Rivers and trees and cattle and all over the countryside. Till I look down on the garden green, down on the roof so brown. Up in the air I go flying again, up in the air and down. How do you like to go up in a swing, up in the air so blue? Oh, I do think it the pleasantest thing ever a child can do. And now... Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. But... 
See, nothing up must leave. Presto! Wrong hat. And now it's time to meet Mr. Peabody. Our story opens today high atop New York City, in the luxurious penthouse of perhaps the most famous soldier of fortune the world has ever known. Me. How do you do? Excuse the position, just practicing my yoga. Well, now that you're here, we may as well get to know each other. My name is Peabody. I suppose you know yours. I guess you're wondering about this contraption. It belongs to Sherman. He's my boy. Here, Sherman. Here, boy. Shake hands. Say, hello. Hello. Smart as a whip, isn't he? Now about this amusing little gadget. The story really starts with me, naturally. As a youth, I was just an average genius, the puppy prodigy, they called me. Got my degree at Harvard when I was three. Wagner cum laude, of course. Then a brief period in the Foreign Service. I speak eight languages fluently. All at once, that is, including English. Then a few research projects for the government. And I dabbled in the stock market, where I was known as the Wolf of Wall Street. But somehow I felt that something was missing in my life, so I made up my mind to get a boy. I looked high and low, but couldn't find one that met my high standards. Then one day, while watching some boys at their innocent play, I spotted Sherman. My heart went out to him. I'm always pulling for the underboy. I dismissed the others, and Sherman followed me home. He wasn't at all what I was looking for. Oh, he looked at me with those big brown eyes, but I was firm. I took him home. This is where you live? Yep, that's been home sweet home all my life. Where have you been, you little brat? Just, just visiting. Get in here. One moment, sir. And what do you want, Mutt? The name, sir, is Peabody, and I intend to adopt this boy. Naturally, the newspapers made a big thing of it. Extra, extra, dog to adopt orphan. Doggy wants to be daddy. Read all about it. I had to submit references. So I got some old friends to write letters. Then, of course, I was investigated thoroughly. My background was unimpeachable. Still... But he's not a fit person to bring up a boy. In fact, he's not even a person at all. Your Honor, I consider that an excellent recommendation. And I finally got Sherman. This court can see no reason why. If a boy can have a dog, a dog can't have a boy. Daddy! Sherman, let's get one thing clear. I will never submit to being addressed by that ridiculous name. You will call me Mr. Peabody. Or, when speaking informally, simply Peabody. Yes, Mr. Peabody. So, that was that. But I soon found it's next to impossible to raise a boy in an apartment. Guppies, yes, but a boy, no. They need running room. So I built this for Sherman's birthday. Happy birthday, Sherman. Gee, thanks, Mr. Peabody. Well, what is it? Well, actually, it's a time machine. I call it a Wayback. We just set it, turn it on, open the door, and there we are. Or were, really. Furibusque delenda est, in tres partes argentum sum. What did he say? What did he say? Well, that's simple. He said... Oh, never mind. I'll fix it. 
So, friends, for a goodbye in a new or used chariot, it's Publius Maximus the Grinning Gaul. It sounded better in Latin. Can we go somewhere else? Of course. With this key, friend. Mr. Franklin, the lightning! I intend to demonstrate the principle but... illustrated by the storage properties of the Leyden jar. BF, the lightning is... Gee, we couldn't get a word in edgewise. I know. A few more adjustments, and behold, not a time machine, but a should-have-been machine. Observe. With this key, friend... Mr. Franklin, your kite is going to be struck by lightning. Oh, really? It's nice to be a part of history. But all in all, it's just the thing for a boy in an apartment. Say, Sherman? Well, I thought it was. Of course, he's only a boy, and... Mr. Peabody, that's the nicest present anybody ever had. <coughs> Yes, 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 of course, Sherman. No doubt about it. Every dog should have a boy. Private Bullwinkle, sir, with a message! Just in time! Is it important? Is it? Just look! Remember how surprised the world scientists were when they looked through their thousand-inch telescope and saw Rocky and Bullwinkle flying back from the moon. But when the boys made their one-point landing, the explanation was ridiculously simple. Bullwinkle had tried to bake a quick rising cake from his grandmother's recipe. The result, naturally, was... the world's most powerful rocket fuel. Bullwinkle was immediately ordered to go to work for the government to duplicate the recipe, which, unfortunately, had been torn in half in the explosion. Yeah, I know how much, but not what of. Everybody was interested in the result, including two notorious spies, Boris Badenov and Natasha Fatal. Failing in their attempt to get the formula, they decided to do away with the moose. So Natasha handed him a ticking package containing 14 sticks of dynamite, wired to go off in 30 seconds. I plan to leave in a couple of minutes. Don't worry, darling. You will. But as Natasha tried to open the door, she found it had been locked behind her. The key. Where's the cotton-picking key? Oh, the key. Well, uh, I got it here somewhere. 18 seconds, 17, 16. Let's see, here's the key to my locker at PS84. Hurry up, please. Key to my hope chest. It's little, because I'm kind of hopeless. I must go quickly. I'm doing my level best. 12, 11, 10. Three trunk keys, in case I ever grow a trunk. Time is running out. Eight, seven, six. Hey, that one belongs to the Frostbite Falls Volunteer Fire Department. Yeah, wonder how they're starting the engine these days. Give me my package, you fool. Three, two, one. That's what I like, precision timing. A few minutes later, Bullwinkle found the right key, and the furious Natasha left to meet her partner in crime. Boris promised to meet me here. Where is he? Oh, there you are, darling. What do we do next? We do what any intelligent, self-sufficient spy with real initiative would do. We wait for instructions. 
Meanwhile, the fact that Bullwinkle's rocket fuel was made from his grandmother's fudge cake recipe was having a great effect on the whole country. Top scientists discarded their most complex apparatus. Erwin, go get me an eight-inch cake tin and a set of cookie cutters. Colleges changed their course of study. This year, gentlemen, we will study atomic structure, nuclear physics, and fudge making. The effect spread to other countries. But you are top nuclear physicist. How come you are sent to Siberia? My biscuits were too heavy. In the USA, grandmothers rose to national prominence. As advisors to the president... It's raining. You'd better put on your rubbers. As scientists... I'd like you to meet our new head of research and development. Hello, boys. Even bathing beauty contests took on a new look. Grandmothers reigned supreme. In their own laboratory, Rocky and Bullwinkle were still hard at work. Here's the latest one, Rocky. Will it make a good rocket fuel, Bullwinkle? Well, I don't know, but it'll sure make a dandy lunch. <laughs> the boys wouldn't have been so happy if they had chance to look behind them, for at that moment, a scaly green hand was raising a strange weapon and pointing it right at their heads. Don't miss the next exciting episode, Bullseye Bullwinkle or Destination Moose. Just enough left to tell him who the sponsor was. You got the credits, Bullwinkle? All on this itty bitty card. Oop. You're listening to the KWUR Theater of the Air here on KWUR Clayton 90.3 FM. If you're feeling particularly discriminating, you can listen online at www.kwer.com. I'm David Reinstrom. I'm David Brunel Brutman. I'm Alex Jensen. And this is the last show ever. <clears throat> that is really cool. So, what do you what you guys think? Hey guys, how are you doing today? What are you doing? Crazy. But no, what did you what did you think? Did that seem to stand up as a uh, as a radio show? How's I, my thesis? I think it did, actually. I was thoroughly entertained without any visuals. <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle, surprisingly radio friendly. Yeah. Actually. And, and that I is... thought I thought some of the jokes that were clearly meant to be visual were actually funnier without the visuals. <laughs> yeah. Like Excuse Mr. my position. Yes, like Mr. Peabody doing I was yoga. Just practicing my yoga. And uh Tom Sherman. The, the prince with the hat over his eyes? <laughs> I mean, in this version, as opposed to the television one, that's like a reveal. Right. You know, you think he's been <sighs> struck blind, but then all of a sudden, well, why don't you just pull your hat up over <laughs> from your eyes? So I thought that was great. Very, very yeah. funny, yeah. I was laughing. Well, prepare, prepare to laugh the laugh of the damned, Alexo. Oh, no. I'm oh, going to no. You're going to beat us this time? Sweet frack. Sweet mustache. Could it possibly be? I need theme music, David. Dun, 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 dun,
For eons in the swirling tempestuous mystical mists, the lake-like pea soup-like fugly fog that drifts in and out through the mind of Jim Tace. Prepare yourself for the mind-bungingly awful and horrendous Eye of We continue with our... Are you not going to do it? You destroyed the joke. Da, 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 da. Ow, ow, my ears! <laughs> Don't worry, I got him. Okay, I cut, we can, I cut we his continue, mic. We continue with right. our reading. David, will you behave if I turn your microphone back on? No. We continue. We continue our reading uh, of the Eye no, of Argon. You can't bleed in through my mic. Which is this fantasy right, epic right, that right, we've right. been doing for the past couple of weeks. All right, David, cut it out. It's not funny anymore. You're adorable. Thank you. Um, so let's see. We left off in episode, or excuse me, chapter seven. Grigner uh, had just slaughtered a room full of acolytes. Grigner the accordion, uh, not accordion like the musical instrument, but accordion like the ethnic group. I uh, the entire time we've been reading that, I didn't realize that that it's an ethnic group. He's yeah. from accordion. I thought you meant you know like the. I I thought he was actually being described in terms of the instrument. Like oh, no, he had particularly I don't know foldy arms or something. <laughs> No, he's got he's Those got little uh, white buttons. He's got lancing sinews or something. Yeah. Anyway, it's very poorly written in a very florid purple way. Uh, here are the rules. Each of us will read until we laugh, and then once we laugh, we must pass it on to the next person. Uh, so let's see. Middle of chapter seven. Grigner has just slaughtered a whole room of effing people. Uh, so wait, effing is that a uh, an ethnic? That's group another as well? ethnic group. Yeah. An ethnic group, right. if you will. Ugh. Eh? Ugh. Eh? The puns are rubbing off eh? on you. Eh? I will end you. David, this, please, this, please, this please begin. This is a really magical last Okay, so we'll go, we'll, go, we'll go in this direction. So, Alexa, you'll go after I laugh. All right. Presently, all went silent at save for the ebbing groans of the sinking shaman and Grignir's heaving breath accompanied by several gusty curses. <laughs> no! Oh, that's a sentence. That's an entire sentence. Alexa? Start. <clears throat> gusty curses. The well had run dry. No more lambs remained for the slaughter. The rampaging stead of death, having taken of Grigner for the moment, left the barbarian free to the exploitation of his other perusials. Towering over his head was the misshaped image of the cult's hideous deity, Argon. The fantastic size of the idol, in consideration of its being of pure jade, was enough to cause the senses of any man to stagger and reel. Yet thus was not the case for the behemoth. He had only paid, he had paid only casual notice to this incredible fact while riveting the whole of his attention upon the jewel protruding from the idol's soul socket, its masterfully cut faucets emitting blinding <laughs> rays of hypnotizing beauty. I'm sorry, blinding faucets? Yes, it's masterfully, it's masterfully cut, cut, faucets. cut faucets. Sorry, continue. Sorry. After all, 
A man cannot slink from a heavily guarded palace while burdened down by the intense bulk of a squatting statue, <laughs> providing, of course, that the idol can even be hefted, which in fact was beyond the reaches of Grigner's coursing stamina. On the other hand, the jewel, gigantic as it was, could not present a hindrance of any mean concern. I have no idea what I just read. <laughs> Help me, please. I can make it worth your while, pleaded a soft, anguish-strewn voice wafting over Grigner's shoulders as he plucked the dull red emerald from its roots. Turning, Grigner faced the female that had lured him into this bloodbath, but whom had become all but forgotten in the heat of the battle. You, ejaculated the accordion in a pleasing tone. David. <laughs> I did laugh. Uh, <laughs> I thought that I had seen the last of you at the tavern, but verily, I was mistaken. It just means thrown forth. Man reacted? Yes. Perhaps? Man reacted. Grigner advanced into the grips of the female's entrancing stare, severing the golden chains that held her captive upon the altar's <laughs> highly polished face of ornamental limestone. Which she was chained? Yeah, come on. Oh, okay. Didn't you catch that part? It was, it was two weeks ago. As Grigner lifted the girl from the altar, her arms would dexterously, her arms wound dexterously about his neck, soft and smooth against his harsh exterior. Art thou pleased that we have chanced to meet once again? Grigner merely voiced and sighed grunt, returning the damsel's embrace while he smothered her trim, delicate lips between the coursing <laughs> protrusions of his reeking maw. Oh. <laughs> That's horrible. Oh, ah, no. That's so bad. No, right, I don't want right to read it. There, that right there. I don't want to read it. But you must. Wow. Oh, oh good. It doesn't quite continue. Let us take leave of this wretched chamber, spelled R-E-T-C-H-E-T. Stated Grigner as he placed the female upon her feet. She swooned a moment, causing Grigner to give her support, then regain her stance. Yeah, because of his breath. Art thou able to find your way through the accursed passages of this castle? <laughs> Murphic! <laughs> Sorry. Murphic! Every one of the corridors of this damn place are identical. I, I was at one time a slave of Prince Agafim. His clammy touch sent a sour swill through my belly, but my efforts oh. reaped a harvest. I gained the pig's liking, whereby he allowed me the freedom of the palace. It was through this means that I eventually managed escape at the western gate. His trust found him with a dagger thrust his ribs, the wench stated. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whimsiocratically. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry, let me try that again. Whimsicorackily. Whimsicarackily, I believe, is how you would pronounce that word. Dear Lord. What were you doing at the tavern whence I discovered you? Asked Grigner as he lifted the female through the opening into the mausoleum. I had sought to lay low from the palace's guards as they conducted their search for me. The tavern was seldom frequented by the palace guards, and my identity was unknown to the common soldiers. It was through the disturbance that you caused that the palace guards were attracted to the tavern. I was dragged away shortly after you were escorted to the palace. What are you called by, female? <laughs> Carthena, daughter of Mincardos, Duke of Barwego, <laughs> whose lands border along the northwestern fringes of Gorsum. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, All right, Where David. We, Here you go. That's great. Last sentence at the bottom there. <laughs> oh, no. It continues. Oh, no. What are you called by, female? Carthena, daughter of Mincardos, Duke of Barwigo, whose lands border along the northwestern fringes of Gorzom. I was paid as homage to Agafim upon his 38th year. Husked the femme. <laughs> There's an exclamation. Husked the femme. There's an exclamation point there. And I am called a barbarian. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> and I am called a barbarian, grunted a- a Grignir in a disgusted tone. Ah. Another exclamation point. I. The ways of our civilization are in many ways warped and distorted. But what is your calling? She queried, <laughs> bustily. <laughs> yes. She queried bustily. She queried bustily, question mark. What is your calling? She queried bustily. Grignir of Accordia. Ah, I have heard vaguely of Accordia. It is the hill country to the far east of the Norigolian Empire. I have also heard Agafim curse your land more than once when his troops were routed in the unaccustomed mountains and gorges, saith she. Aye, my people are not tarnished by petty luxuries and baubles. They remain fierce and unconquerable in their native climes. After reaching the hidden panel at the, ba- at the head of the stairway, Grignir was at a loss in regard to its operation. His fiercest heaves were as pebbles against burnished armor. Carthena depressed a small symbol included within the elaborate design upon the panel, where open it slowly slid into a cleft in the wall. How did you come to be the victim of those crazed shaman? Quested Grigner as he escorted Carthena through the piles of rummage on the left side of the trap. Ah, oh God, this is a lot to do in this voice. Excuse me. Get to sit up to do it. By Agafim's orders, I was thrust into a secluded cell to await his passing of sentence. By some means, the, priest of Ar- the priests of Argon acquired a set of keys to the cell. They slew the guard placed over me and abducted me to the chamber in which you chanced to come upon the Skoshtik sacrifice. <laughs> S-C-O-Z-S-C-T-I-C. Which looks like Polish, but isn't. Shka- Write these down. There will be a quiz at the conclusion Shkarsh- of the story. Skarsh Sacrifice. Their hell-spawned cult demands a sacrifice once every three moons upon its full journey through the heavens. They were startled by your unannounced appearance through the fear that you had been sent by Agafim. The prince would surely have submitted them to the most ghastly of tortures if he had ever discovered their unfaithfulness to Sargon, his bastard deity. Many of the partakers of the ritual were high nobles and high trustees of the inner palace. Agafim's pitiless wrath would have been unparalleled. Paralleled. They have no more fear of Agafim now, bellowed Grigner in a deep, mirthful tome, a gleeful <laughs> smirk upon his face. I have seen that they were delivered from his vengeance. Engrossed by Carthena's graceful stride and conversation, Grigner failed to take note of the footfalls rapidly approaching behind him. As he swung aside the arched portal, linking the chamber with the corridors beyond, a maddened, bloodlusting screech reverberated from his eardrums. Seemingly utilizing the speed of thought, Grignir swiveled, <laughs> swiveled to face his unknown foe. With gaping eyes and widened jaws, Grignir raised the axe above his surly mane, spelled like chow mane, but he was too late. End of chapter six. So we started in chapter six. And now I think it is time to take... Dun, 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 I think it's time to take a short Chapter musical break. Not, not that kind of musical break, Dan. Dun, 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 Anything but that kind of musical break. You guys have no Please appreciation no. for my skills. It's true. I had entered into a marriage in the summer of my 21st year. And the bells rang for a 
Jeepers! I was not expecting that. Yeah. I forgot. That's part of a concept album, so all the songs go into each other. Um. Well, I, I mean, we might as well. What was it? Oh, sorry. That was uh, that was the the new Decemberist album, The Hazards of Love, and that was uh, the Rakes song. We don't normally do this. We don't normally gloss things, but but it had to be done. There was no turning back. There was no turning back. Point. Yes. I have something to say. <clears throat> yes. Are we all ready? We're yeah. We're not gonna bring up any any music underneath no. this, are we? Or Dave, like you promise not to. I promise not to. Okay. Fung- fungers crossed. Okay. Know how I said fungers instead of fingers? She inquired bustily. <laughs> yeah. Well, what don't I do bustily, David? What don't I do bustily? I can't think of a dang thing. Dang thing. Nope. What have you got for us? Without further ado. All it takes is one spark, one careless act to start a wildfire. So next time you build a campfire, find an open site, clear from dry brush and brush, brush, clear from dry brush and overhanging branches. Be sure to keep the fire small. And when you're done, properly drown the fire, stir it with a shovel, and then drown it again. Because only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, the Ad Council, and in partnership with the National Association of Broadcasters. Are forest fires funny to you people? (laughs) You think it's a joke? All those little baby birds and rabbits that die each year. Not not to mention butterflies, because you don't drown your fires twice. It's not funny. I'm going to advocate that you drown the fire three times, at least, in a row. For three years, we have been trying to read that public service announcement without laughing. Come on, I almost did it. I almost didn't, but then I looked at you, Dave, and your lips were pursed as hard as mine were, Uh. attempting as hard as you could not to let the laugh out. But out it came. I out. was trying so hard. Out it so cometh. Sorry. Out it cometh. Looks like you guys will have to <sighs> try again next year when I'm gone. Yeah. That's gonna that's gonna be fun. That's gonna suck. Well <sighs> just remind me a few minutes before you're about to read the campfire PSA. I will make you uh I'll make you come in and I'll make you call and read it. The wildfire one we can Camp- never campfire campfires. quote unquote wildfire prevention. <laughs> Okay, we are going to continue now with, um... Keeping it moving right along. Moving right along. Okay. <sighs> with the trying not to laugh. Yes. <laughs> moving it right along with the trying not to laugh. It's another... It's it's chapter seven of Eye of Argon. Let's see if I, I can do this. You look okay. puzzled. Yeah, I don't understand why this is funny. Because you have to drown the fire twice. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, let's continue. <laughs> chapter seven. With wobbling knees and swimming head, the priest that had lapsed into an epileptic seizure rose unsteadily to his feet. Remember that guy? Yeah. While enacting his choking fit in writhing agony, the shaman was overlooked by Grignir. The barbarian had mistaken the seizure for the death throes of the acolyte, allowing the priest to ignore or avoid his stinging blade. The sight that met the priest's inflamed eyes nearly served to sprawl him upon the floor once more. The sacrificial sat in grim, blood-spattered silence all about him, broken only by the occasional yelps and howless of his maimed and butchered fellows. Above his head rose the hideous idol, its empty socket holding the shaman's effurbished, infuriated gaze. His eyes turned to a stony glaze with the realization of a pillage and blasphemy. 
Due to his high susceptibility following the seizure, the priest was transformed into a raving maniac, bent solely upon wreaking vengeance. With lips curled and quivering, a crust of foam dripping from them, the acolyte drew a long, wicked-looking, jewel-hilted scimitar from his silver girdle and fled through the aperture in the ceiling, uttering a faint. Wait, wait a second. Scimitar. Sorry, scimitar. Does it really say that? It, sorry. A jewel-hilted scimitar from his silver girdle and fled through the aperture. That's what that says. Uh, in the ceiling, uttering a faintly perceptible ceremonial gibberish. <laughs> Chapter seven and a half. A sweeping scimitar swung towards Grignir's head in a shadowed blur of motion. With axe raised over his head, Grignir prepared to parry the blow while gaping wide-eyed in mouth, open-mouthed perplexity. Suddenly, a sharp snap resounded behind the frothing shaman. The scimitar, halfway through its fatal sweep, dropped from a quivering, nerveless hand, clattering harmlessly to the stonage. <laughs> Cutting his street short with a bubbling, red-mouthed gurgle, the lacerated acolyte staggered under the pressure of the released springboard. Okay. The released springboard. After a moment of hopeless struggling, the shaman buckled, sprawling face down in a widening pool of blood and entrails, his regal purple robe blendingly, blending enhancingly with the swirling streams of crimson. Mrifk! I think that's how you're supposed to say it. Mrifk! I thought I'd killed the last of those dogs, muttered Grigner in a half-apathetic state. <laughs> Alex... My turn. I'm going to read bustily, if okay. possible. <clears throat> Please do. Nay, Grigner, you doubtless grew... Here, turn the mic towards you a little bit. Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah. Nay, Grigner, you doubtless grew careless while giving vent to your lust. <laughs> but let us not tarry any long lest we tax the fates. <laughs> the paths leading to freedom will soon be barred. The wretches... The wretches... Wretch, apostrophe, S, <laughs> cries, must certainly have attracted unwanted attention, the wench mused. By what direction shall we pursue our flight? Up that stair and down the corridor a short distance is the concealed entrance to a tunnel seldom used by others than the prince, and known to few others save the palace's royalty. It is used mainly by the prince when he wishes to take leave of the palace in secret. It is not always in the prince's best interest to leave the, his chateau in public view. Even while under heavy guard, he is often assaulted by hurtling stones and rotting fruits. <laughs> Sucks to be the prince. The commoners have little love for him. Lectured the near lady! Exclamation point. It is amazing that they would ever have left a pig like him. Let No, I read that right. Left a pig like him become their ruler. I should imagine that his people would rise up and crucify him like the dog he is. Alas, Grigner, it is not as simple as all that. His soldiers are well paid by him. So long as he keeps their wages up, they will carry out his damned wished. Hmm? The crude implements of the common folk would never stand up under an onslaught of forged blades and protective armor. They would be going on their own slaughter, said Carthina to a confused but angry Grigner as they topped the stairway. Oh, yet how can they bear to live under such oppression? I would sooner die beneath the sword than live under such a dog's command, added Grigner, as the pair stalked down the hall in the direction opposite that in which Grigner had come. 
But all men are not of the same mold that you are born of. They choose to live as they are so as to save their filthy necks from the chopping block. Returned <laughs> Carcina in a disgusted tone as she cast an upraised really? glance towards the stalwart figure at her side whose left arm was woundly dexterously about was wound dexterously about her slim waist, oh. his slowly waiting torch casting their images and intermingling wisps as it dangled from his left hand. I'm not really sure what's happening right now. I think, I think hair is dangling. Arms. There's a bunch of arms flying all over the place. And there's... there's you got some legs in there. fire. A couple of fires. Presently, Carthina came upon the panel, concealed amongst the other granite slabs and discernible only by the burned-out cresset above it. As I pushed the cresset aside, pushed the panel inward. Cat Rahena motioned to the panel. Who's that? <laughs> That's Carthina's evil twin. <laughs> All right, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. Here, I left off at Katarina right there. <laughs> Go for it. Katarina motioned to the panel she was referring to and twisted the crescent in a counterclockwise motion. Grigner braced his right shoulder against the walling, concentrating the force of his bulk against it. The slab gradually swung inward with a slight grating sound. Carthina stooped beneath Grigner's corded arms and crawled upon all fours into the passage beyond. Grigner followed after easing the slab back into place. Winding before the pair was a dark, musty tunnel, exhibiting tangled spiderwebs from its ceiling to wall. Excuse me. And an oozing, sickly slime running lazily upon its floor. Hanging from the chipped wall upon Grigner's right side, the R in that one was capitalized, right side was a half-moldered corpse, its gray flacking arms held in place by rusted iron manacles. Carthina flinched back into Grigner's arms at the sight of the leering set in an ugly, distorted grimace, staring horribly at her from hollow, gaping sockets. This alcove must also be used by Agafim as a torture chamber. I wonder how many of his enemies have disappeared into these haunts never to be heard from again, pondered the hulking brute. <laughs> Let us flee before we are also caught within Agafim's ghastly clutches. The exit from this tunnel cannot be very far from here said Carthina with a slight sob to her voice as she sagged in Grigner's <laughs> encompassing embrace. I will be best, uh, it will be best to be finished with this corridor as soon as it is possible. But why do you flinch from the sight of death so? Marift, you have seen much death this day without exhibiting such emotions, exclaimed Grigner as he held her trembling form along the dingy confines. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was the voices that got me. I'm sure it was. That was impressive. <laughs> All right. They're just going to get progressively more ridiculous, okay? No. Just get ready. The man hanging from the wall was Doyanta. He had committed the folly of showing affection for me in front of Agafim. He never meant any harm by his actions. <laughs> At this, Carthina broke into a slow, steady whimpering, <laughs> chalking her voice with gasping sobs. There was never anything between us. Yet Agafim did this to him. She prayed. <laughs> I detect you felt more for this fellow than you wish to let on. But enough of this. We can talk of such matters after we are once more free to do so. With this, Grigner lifted the grieved female to her feet and strode onward down the corridor. 
supporting the bulk of her weight with his surging left arm. <laughs> Presently, a dim light was perceptibly filtering into the tunnel, casting a dim reddish hue upon the mouldy wall of the passage's grim confines. Carthina had ceased her whimpering and partially regained her composure. <coughs> the tunnel's end must be nearing. Rays of sunlight are beginning to seep into... Grigna clam clammied his right hand over <laughs> Carthina's mouth, and with a slight struggle, pulled her over to the shadows of the right-hand wall of the path, while at the same time thrusting his torch beneath an overhanging stone to smother its flickering rays. Be silent. I can hear footfalls approaching through the tunnel, growled Grigna in a hushed tone. Ah. Uh, all that you hear are the horses corralled at the far end of the tunnel. That is a further sign that we are nearing our goal, she stated. All that you hear is less than I hear. I hear footsteps coming towards us. Silence yourself that we may find out whom we are being brought into contact with. <laughs> I doubt that any of us would have thought as yet to search this... I doubt that any would have thought as yet of searching this passage for us. The advantage of surprise will be upon our side, Grigna warned. Carthina cast her eyes downward and ceased any further pursuit towards conversation, an irritating habit in which she had gained an amazing proficiency. <laughs> Two figures came into the pair's view from around a turn in the tunnel. They were clothed in rich, luxuriant silks and rambling on in conversation while ignorant of their crouching foes waiting in ambush ahead. That barbarian dog is cringing beneath the weight of the lash at this moment, sure. Uh, at this moment, sire, he shall cause no more disturbance. Aye, and it is with any, and so it is with any that dared to cross the path of Sargon's chosen one, said the second man. But the peasants are showing signs of growing unrest. They complain that they cannot feed their families' feet with well burdened with your taxes. <laughs> I shall teach those sluts the meaning of humility. <laughs> Order an immediate increase upon their taxes. They dare to question my sovereign authority. Ha-ha! They shall soon learn what true oppression can be. I will, a shadowed hulk. A shadowed bulk leapt from behind a jutting promontory as it brought down a double-edged axe with the spippid of a striking thought. One of the nobles sagged lifeless to the ground, skull split to the teeth. Grigna gasped as he observed the bisected face set in its leering death agonies. It was a gaffend. The dead man's comrade, having recovered from the shock, drew a jewel-encrusted dagger from beneath the folds of his robe and lunged towards the barbarian's back. Grigna spun at the sound from behind and smashed down his crimson axe once more. His antagonist lunged, howling to a stream of stagnant green water, grasping a spouting stump that had once been a wrist. Grigna raised his axe over his head and prepared to finish the incomplete job, but was deterred halfway through his lunge by a frenzied screech from behind. It doesn't actually have that in there. I just felt that. Carthina leapt. You're so into it. Carthina leapt to the head of the writhing figure, plundering a plunging a smoldering torch into the agonized face. I was really hoping it was plundering. I was there. too, but I misread. The howls increased in their horrid intensity, stifled by the sizzling of roasted flesh, and then died down until the man was reduced to a blubbering mass of squirming, insensate flesh. Again. Grig Grignir advanced to Carthena's side. Sorry, I forgot my accent. Grignir advanced to Carthena's side, wincing slightly from the putrid aroma of charred flesh that rose again with the flesh, rose in a puff of thick white smog throughout the chamber. Carthena reeled slightly, staring dazedly downward at her gruesome handiwork. I had to. It was Agathem. I had to, she exclaimed. Sargon should have been more careful of his right hand man. 
added Grignir, a smug grin upon his lips. But to hell with Sargon for now. The stench is becoming bothersome to me. Let me mark it. It's becoming bothersome. <laughs> the stench becomes bothersome. Oh, dear. <laughs> Good show, David. Thank you. Good uh, show. With that, Grignir grasped Carthina around the waist, leading her around the bend in the cave and into the open. A ball of feral red <laughs> was rising through the mists of the... We're sorry. Eastern horizon, dissipating the slinking shadows of the night. A coral stood... A corral stood before the pair, enclosing two <sighs> grazing mares. Yes. Grigner reached into a weighted down leather pouch dangling at his side and drew forth the scintillant red emerald he had obtained from the bloated idol. Raising it towards the sun, he said, We shall do well with Bobble, eh? (laughs) (laughs) You must read that in a Russian accent, David. (laughs) No, I'm going to read it in a badness Grignir accent. Which sounds like Batman. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Grignir. Why am I snorting so much, Alex? We should do well with Bobble, eh? feral ball. Carthina gaped at the gem, gasping in a terrified manner. Ah! The Eye of Argon! Oh, color! At this, the gem gave off a blinding glow, then dribbled through Grigner's fingers in a slimy red ooze. Grigner stepped back, pushing Carthina behind him. The droplets of slime slowly converge into a pulsating jelly-like mass. A single opening transfixed the blob. Forminf into, uh, that is Forminf, F-O-R-M-I-N-F, into a leech-like maw. Then, the hideous transgressor of nature flowed towards Grigner, a trail of greenish slime lingering behind it. The single gap puckered repeatedly, emitting a ghastly sucking sound. Grigner spread his legs into a battle stance, <laughs> stealing his quivering thews for a battle royal with the thing he knew not how to fight. <laughs> Carthina wound her arms around her protector's neck, mumbling, Kill it! Kill it! while her entire body trembled. The thing was almost upon Grigner when he buried his axe into the grisly maw. It passed through the blob and clanged upon the ground. Grigner drew his axe back with a film of yellow-green slime clinging to the blade. Wait a second, this thing was just red slime. Why is it now yellow-green slime? This doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. I continue. The thing was seemingly unaffected then. It started to ooze up his leg. The hairs upon Grignir's nape stood, that stood with an E, on end from the slimy feel, that's uh, slimy also with an E, feel of the thing's bully bulk. The nautus sucking sound, nautus is capitalized. Is that supposed to be nauseous? That is N-A-U-T-O-U-S. Oh dear. Capitalized. Sucking sound became louder, and Grigner felt the blood being drawn from his body. With each hiss of hideous pucker, the thing increased in size. 
Grigner shook his foot about madly in an attempt to dislodge the blob, but it clung like a leech, still feeding upon his rapidly draining life fluid. He grasped with his hands, trying to rip it off, but only found his hands entangled in the sticky glue-like substance. The slimy thing continued its puckering, now having grown the size of Grigner's leg from its vampiric feast. Grignir began to reel and stagger under the blob, his chalk-white face and faltering muscles attesting to the gigantic loss of blood. Carthina slipped from Grignir in a death-like faint, a morrow-chilling scream upon her red rubbish lips in final desperation. Thud. Grignir grasped the smoldering torch upon the ground and plunged it into the reeking maw of the traverse tree. A shudder passed through the thing. Grignir felt the blackness closing upon his eyes, but held on with the last ebb of his rapidly waning vitality. He could feel its grip lessening as a hideous gurgling sound erupted from the writhing maw. The jelly-like mass began to bubble like a vat of boiling tar as quavers passed up and down its entire form. End of available copy. Uh, there is here a note from the transcriber, and then the, the, uh, followed the by lost the ending. secret lost ending. Wow. I shall now read the, tra- the transcriber's note. I can't believe we made it. <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> Quite a journey. Transcriber's note. No mere transcription can give the true flavor of the original printing of the Eye of Argon. It was mimeographed with stencils cut out, cut on an elite manual typewriter. Many letters were so faint as to be barely readable. Others were overstruck and some that were to be removed never got painted out with correction fluid. Usually only one space separated sentences, while paragraphs were separated by a blank line and were indented ten spaces. Many words were grotesquely hyphenated, and there were illustrations. I cannot do them justice in mere words, but they were a match for the text. Oh, dear. These are the major losses of this version, number two, of T-O-E-A. Otherwise, all effort has been made to retain the full and corrected text, preserving even misspellings and dropped spaces. An excellent proofreader has checked it for errors both omitted and committed. (laughs) What mismatches remain are mine. I shall endeavor to keep a copy of the original available for viewing, so it may be appreciated in all its fullness. But as a labor of love for those whose third-generation copies have now succumbed to the bitter vicissitudes of time and entropy, worn away by the ravages of countless rereadings before enthralled audiences, uh, that's audiences with an A, Yet who have found that the... Isn't that how you spell it? No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. A-U-D-I-A-N-C-E-S. Audiences. Gotcha. Yet who have found that the the heady flavor of its stylistic paragraphs has seeped into their soul and still grips it with with a fervid grasp, I dedicate this machine-readable version of the imminent... (laughs) I can't even read this word. In... Inimitable. Inimitable? Inimitable. Inimitable. I shall edit it. I have edited it. It's like edited it. I edited it. The Eye of Argon. And now, the lost ending. Ooh. Alex and I will continue. Is that distracting to you if Alex and I continue to do this? No, by all these sound effects are great. (laughs) We should have been doing this the whole time. They're wonderful, yes. Please. With a sloshing plop! The thing fell to the ground, evaporating in a thick scarlet cloud until it retained its original size. 
It remained thus for a moment, as the puckered maw took the shape of a protruding red eyeball, the pupil of which seemed to unravel before the tail of creation. How a shapeless mass slithered from the quagmires of the stigmatic pool of time, only to degenerate into a leprosy of avaricious lust. In that fleeting moment, the grim mystery of life was revealed before Grigner's ensnared gaze. Aww. Oh, I was doing a... The eyeball's glare turned to a sudden plea of mercy. A plea for the whole of humanity. Then, the blob began to quiver with violent convulsions. The eyeball shattered into a thousand tiny fragments and evaporated in a curling wisp of scarlet mist. The very ground below the thing began to vibrate and swallow it up with a belch. Come on. Sorry, hold on. There we go. The thing was gone forever. Excuse me. All that remained was a dark red blotch upon the face of the earth, blotching things up. It really says that. <laughs> Shaking his head, his shaggy oh mane to clear the just the jumbled fragments of his mind, Grigner tossed the limp female over his shoulder, mounting one of the disgruntled mares and leading the other. The weary, scarred barbarian trooted off slowly into the horizon trut, trut, to become trut. a tiny pinpoint in a filtered file of swirling blue mists, leaving the nobles, soldiers, and peasants to replace the missing monarch. Long leave the king! By Jim Theus. Dice? How do you pr- pronounce his name? I've been saying it, Taste. Taste? Very well. Winner of the J. Shee Rokas Award for Excellence. Very prestigious award. The end. That was the sound of the book closing. Yes, I understood. But that was mainly because you made the hand motion. Oh. And that, ladies and gentlemen was the Eye of Argon. Hey, guess who I am? Uh, some excellent background music. I'm disappointed I didn't get to do my Grigner Batman voice again. Yeah, we'll have to start over. I'm Grigner. again. Where are the drugs? Where's the Eye of Argon going? Where are they taking the Eye of Argon? <laughs> You guys, I see a future here. Uh, yeah. Don't answer to Argon. No, sorry. Don't swear to Argon. Swear to me. <laughs> You're ridiculous. I'm going to rip the spine out of this rat. Because <laughs> he did that. Yeah. I'll make a shiv out of a rat. Right. Musical break? Yeah. I think, oh, I think it's about time for a musical break. Oh, I'm, I'm a little hoarse. Really? Because you look like a... A man to me. A little donkey Damn you, David. I win. I win. Tell you one more time, then you know that I'm never gonna tell you again.
You guys, it's so sad. (sighs) Well, you're listening to the KWUR Theater of the Air. Or you were. Oh, you you were, which is which is here on KWUR Clayton ninety point three FM. And I feel like we can't go out without without hearing that station ID one last time. Mm. Do you agree, Dave? Certainly. I think I think we need to hear the best station ID in the world. Uh, So one one final time. You're listening to the Theater of the Air, here on... Nope, that's not it. That's not <laughs> it! Bzz. Dang it! Try again! Boop! Okay, okay, we're gonna try again. David? You're listening to the KWUR Theater of the Air, here on... 
Yes! That's amazing. Oh my goodness. That is amazing. You know what else is amazing? That we've been with Alexo for two and a half years. We're going to have to say goodbye. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is kind of bittersweet, you guys. This but is. you know what that music means? It means it's time for credits! 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 credits. Welcome to Premise Beach! Premise! Imagine the three friends met sort of by chance at Washington University, and then they spent the next two and, the, two and a half years making wonderful sketches together. True fact. True fact. I was there. Here's the catch. One of them is fat. <laughs> you guys are so mean to me. <laughs> the catch is that we're, we're all locked inside a baby. Uh, we are all locked inside a baby. One giant baby. The phone is ringing, but we can't answer it. However, oh, well, Dave can, but I'm we can't afraid, put them I'm on. Afraid we can't answer this. Hello, <laughs> the KWUR Theater of the Air is brought to you this week by the letter A, as in Argon, and Alexo, to whom we give smoochy and embarrassing goodbyes. Alexo, I will miss you more than life, Nubble Pumpkin. Alex, quick, what's your favorite memory of, of the two and a half years we have spent together, you, me, and Dave, here on the show? I, when we used to basically do improv for Newsworthy Ghost Island every single show. Oh, my God. Because, basically, the whole show is a sketch itself. And those were the best times. Those were pretty great times. Yeah. I think, I think my favorite moment in some total was when we recorded the sharing song in the basement of Liggett. <laughs> Um, oh, I remember that so well. Was that last year or the year before? I don't know. They all run together. They all do run together. <laughs> I think it was freshman year. Dave, do you have a, uh, a favorite Newsworthy Ghost Island moment or just a favorite moment of Alexo to, to Oh, my goodness. With? There are so many to choose from. <laughs> Honestly, it might, be the, it might be the drowning PSA. <laughs> it might be the drowning public service announcement. Oh, wow. That was a good moment. <sighs> no, remember back in the day we had our show early on Saturday morning? I remember. Yes. yes. We all got up at the crack of dawn and oh. got together. So early. It was oh. amazing. Those were amazing times. Our caller, incidentally, had a, a special message for Alex. Really? Yes. What was, was, it, was it her dad? I couldn't quite hear it. Uh-oh. But <laughs> 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 it was something to the effect of he, he's very sad that you'll be gone. And has very much enjoyed the show. Oh, as we all have. Thank was you, it mystery caller? Do you know who it was? No, I, I couldn't. I really could not hear very well. Oh, okay. Like well, at all? Maybe it was your dad. Maybe I, it was somebody that was not in your family. I hope it was somebody that I don't know at all. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, I mean, we already we already know that that Nick Jensen loves his daughter. I think it might have been Jim. Yeah, that's it my guess. Been, oh, it probably was. It's my guess. If it sounded like Batman. It did Probably not sound like. It didn't sound like Batman. You people, Darn it. you people are ridiculous. Uh, All right. Well, I and just want to say that yeah. it's been a pleasure. Well, it, you it's have been, been more there than for, a pleasure. You've been there for some of the best moments in my Washington University career, Alexo. I hope that I had a hand in making them. Yeah, you had a pair. <laughs> I still do, David. <laughs> I still do. Are we? Are we done? We're done. Yeah. We're so done. We're out of here. Is. Bye, everybody. Blood for the blood god. Why do you have to say that? I don't have to say that. I love you.